This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 595 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Holy batrimony! Geppetto gets stoned, Pearl's mom is badass, foxes have busy lives, and what would you do if everyone got a genie? This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, July 3rd, 2022. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Batman Catwoman, number 12 of 12, from DC Black Label by King, Man, and Murray. For a miniseries designed to complete Tom King's truncated run on Batman, which ended in November 2019, it sure took a long time to complete this, 19 months. By now, virtually everything about Bruce has changed. In fact, he's dead right now, making this really a separate timeline. Anyway, we begin with Selina and Bruce in bed at Christmas, which has been the theme of the series. This is her first time at Wayne Manor for the holidays and is surprised to see presents under the tree with Alfred completing the process. Cut to future Selena and Helena arguing over Christmas dinner. Selena wants to give her a present, but Helena is not interested. She's convinced it's her wedding ring, and we learn the stone is the one she stole in the first adult meeting between Bruce and Selena. However, it's not the ring. Selena plans to be buried with that. Cut to present mm, day with Bruce saying, Phantasm dies, Joker lives, Merry Christmas. Selena drags Bruce from their bed and they stand in front of a mirror. This is who we are, without costumes and gadgets and whips, two wounded animals who in the midst of the hurt manage to crawl to each other. Back to future Selena, who informs Helena that she swiped all the evidence from GCPD that would have put her in jail except for Joker's glasses. Helena realizes she can't use them to throw her mother in jail. Selena plans to leave town for a year or so while the whole thing blows over and her lawyers and PR people clean it up. And now to the wedding. Bruce and Selena go to a 24-hour wedding chapel where she insists they get the full batrimony treatment. This involves the minister dressing in an Adam West bat outfit. They are asked if they need witnesses, which costs extra. Selena gets Bruce to make the call, asking if they would like... And zoom! Lois and Clark are there all at once. Clark starts talking about hope, of course. Cut to bat and cat fighting killer Croc while he tells her he loves her. Back to future Selena on a beach with Andrea, a.k.a. Phantasm. Turns out Clayface did Selena a favor and posed as Phantasm, faking her death. Back to the wedding and the vows. The canned music plays, it's the wrong mix. Christmas music plays as they kiss. 
That was a long way to go to close out the arc. The wraparound cover shows the various costumes of Cat and Bat over the years. Fables number 152 from DC Black Label. We begin back in the Manhattan morgue where Cinderella has resurrected. She explains to the technician that she did a job once for a gifted sorcerer who granted her one resurrection. Now that device that saved her, still implanted in her thigh, is about to release a lot of bad magic and kill her. So she cajoles the tech into some quick surgery and by the end has returned to her beautiful self. Meanwhile, the new and old Jack in the Green have it out. The new one says he can stay in the massive treehouse that is now hers as long as he minds himself. He can also advise her as long as he understands she's the one in charge, not the student. He gives her the Thanatos arrow only to be used when the chips are down. Clearly, this is Chekhov's arrow. (laughs) Back at the farm, the non-human fables are making plans. Most are getting out, as the Mondays will undoubtedly be there soon. The Badger says he's staying. We visit Geppetto, a.k.a. the adversary, who's also making plans. He'll call all his agents throughout the world and bring them together to restart his empire. Unfortunately, the man in the suit, who we have to assume is Peter Pan based on his fairy familiar, Tink, turns out Peter has been pulling Geppetto's strings since day one and is not happy on how things have been going. Geppetto explains he had to have agents out in the world to run his empire, but Peter is not satisfied. He has Tink pull Geppetto into a rock, which he cannot escape, not in 10 million times 10 million years. Peter is disgusted with this world, calling it filthy, and says, let's go find one that isn't. Finally, a quick check-in with the wolves. The cubs are running wild, and Bigby wants to get them out of the way, telling them, All you monsters, take off, spread out, and don't come back until you've each had a big adventure. More a setup issue than anything. Pearl number 2 from Dark Horse by Bendis and Gatos. The tattoo artist slash Yakuza killer saga continues. Pearl is at the hospital in the aftermath of her place being blown up. We cut to years ago at the bar mitzvah of her little brother. A friend notes that Pearl's mom is badass, suggesting she might be in the Yakuza as a joke. Mom doesn't take that well to that and tells Pearl to go home. Back to the hospital where her friends slash employees are being treated. Pearl was outside at the time of the bombing. She's being interviewed by the FBI, but acts very confused and talks in circles about the whole thing. When asked about the ghost dragon and why the FBI agent's partner was in her shop when it blew up, she covers, saying the agent was there to get a tattoo called the ghost dragon. Pearl leaves and hightails it to Mr. Mayaki after dispatching his goons. Mayaki remarks how much she reminds him of Pearl's mom. She apparently shoots Mayaki, then calls her dad back in Japan. She warns him not to return to the U.S. New rules, Dad. Rivers of London, Deadly Ever After Number 2 from Titan by Bronfman, Baroy, and Kabiza. This story has taken a decidedly fable-esque turn. We cut back a few days where two foxes are enjoying berries from the magical tree. One calls it better than a local takeout place. They see a wolfman race by and wonder if they should report it to someone. Five days later, the foxes do report it. Once they go around to it, foxes have busy lives, you know, to supernatural cop Abigail. They get cheese puffs in return. 
Meanwhile, twin goddesses Chelsea and Olympia realize that all the recent bizarre events may be their fault. The twins, Abigail and the foxes, go to the magical tree. When the glamour was broken by the twins, it alerted someone wearing a black hoodie to its presence, who may be responsible for the bizarre events. The twins go to the hospital where one of the victims, now in a psychosomatic coma after eating an apple, is being treated. The victim's stepmother is trying to bring her out of it with burning sage. The twins find a copy of the fairy book left as a gift and see that all of the events came from the book. The Snow White slash Apple event, the guy turning into a wolf and attacking a grandmother, and the actor playing a prince that now wants to be a frog. They follow the last item. The actor is now doing a documentary on amphibians and really getting into the part. They interrogate him and learn that Phoebe, who was at the campfire that started all this, was wearing a black hoodie, the same hoodie the foxes saw. The twins track down Phoebe, who makes a break for it. They form a watery hand from a pool and grab her. Phoebe warns them that they are in danger by attacking her. She's not in control. They let her go, and we see a man in the shadows with glowing hands who looks like the father of the book's author. Eight Billion Genies, number one and two from Image by Soul and Brown. Mark heard about this title from another podcast and decided to give it a try. It's an intriguing premise. What if everyone on Earth was giving their own personal genie who would grant them a single wish? It takes place at a rundown bar in Michigan. A boy is hanging out there next to his drunk dad. A band is setting up to play that night. Like all bands with a female singer, there's relationship issues. Daisy wants to be with Brian. Alex wants to be with Daisy. A Chinese couple who do not speak English are there trying to find the lamp lighter. This is the lamp wick. The lamp lighter's on the other side of town. They're desperate to get to that bar for an unknown reason. The owner and bartender seems to be far older than he looks and is prepared for anything. Cut to Paris, where a baby is being born. Glowing genies begin to appear, one for each person, including the newborn. The same things happen at the bar, and the genies explain that each will get a wish, but be careful. Also, your intention will be reflected in how it is fulfilled. The first eight minutes? The bartender immediately makes his wish. I wish that no wish made outside this bar can affect this bar or anything inside it. Done. Enjoy the show. Daisy, in the parking lot, wishes that Brian would love her, and Alex is next to her when she says this. They return to the bar. Brian comes in, but doesn't seem to be affected by the wish, but it's because the bartender's wish canceled it out, because she was outside when she said it. The drunk dad wakes up to see all the genies and asks for another drink. The bartender gives him coffee instead. There's a huge crash outside, and they all peek out the door. The world has become chaos. Dinosaurs, giant mechs, rocket ships, people flying, huge castles. Again, the bartender wish is keeping the madness outside. Cut to a woman in Arizona swimming in money, a woman in British Columbia teleporting to Montreal, an old woman in Norway who can walk again with her husband now a young man, a guy in Vietnam flying around, another guy in Germany canoodling with fantasy women, a daughter in Georgia watching her parents burn in hell, a kid in Italy becoming an adult soccer star, a young woman in California being adored by paparazzi. Back at the bar, they realize they have to stay inside to save themselves. 
In issue number two, the first eight hours, parents in Argentina make their wish that their children can only make wishes with their approval. You are children. I love you all. But everything you want is stupid. Someday, I promise, you will thank me. Back at the bar, an auto worker outside has wished up a Carasaurus, but they're all safe inside. The bartender shows them his back room, set up as a long-term bunker with tons of supplies. He explains that the world was already falling apart, and while he never expected genies, he knew it would come in handy someday. Daisy is depressed and Alex is mad, telling the genie to get lost until he decides what he wants with his wish. Brian talks to his genie, asking why this is all happening. We know why, but we're not going to tell you. You could wish for it if you really want to know. The genie explains that they only do one wish because they have to keep track of and manage the wishes. Cut to the White House, where a general is wishing, on the president's orders, to make the U.S. the foremost power on Earth forever for the benefit of the world. They then call North Korea to test it out, who reply that the U.S. should bow down to them. Turns out many countries just wish the exact same thing, and there can only be one number one, so the wishes were canceled out. Back to the bar, where the genies explain that they don't like to do big stuff that affects the whole world, unless we think it's funny or interesting or ironic. The Chinese couple make plans to go to the other bar, and the bartender shows them the news. Inferno consumes downtown Detroit. A lot of crises start out this way, when the selfish and the stupid and the terrified rule the day, before better sense prevails and some kind of new normal sets in. The Detroit blaze was the result of someone wishing for a lightsaber. Cut to the drunk dad in the bathroom, looking at himself in the mirror. He wants to make things right with his son and wishes for his dead wife to come back. There's a tearful family reunion. The genies clap. Wishing is an art. It brings us joy to see it practiced well. Despite the danger, the Chinese man needs to get to the other bar and wishes himself protection to survive the trip. He's suddenly in armor, loaded with weapons. He tells his wife to stay there, and he goes off. Then, a knock at the bar. It's Hemingway, Dorothy Dandridge, and Jim Morrison asking to get some drinks. Next issue, the first eight days. I really like this one, and I'm glad you picked it up, Mark. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.